Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. We've been in a sermon series, Doxology, and we're going to wrap it up this week. It's just a short series. We really wanted to focus in on worship, what it is, and why we do the things that we do. We, we've looked at singing on January 1st. We've looked at prayer. We, I preached about preaching last week, and today we're going to look at communion and baptism, how they're very, very important parts of what we do as a church and how it's an act of worship in doing so. We talked about, too, that... Our understanding of who God is very much comes into play in how we worship then. We've said that our theology will affect our doxology. So our understanding of God affects our worship. And that's really important because Christianity, if we're honest, it has some weird things about it. It it just does. Like if if I talk to someone who's not in church, who's only been in church for a little bit, and I'm like, hey, um, you know, I got up and walked down the aisle and got saved when I was seven. They're like, what aisle? What were you getting saved from? Like, that's weird. And we have all these words and sayings that we say. We say things like that we're blessed and we got saved and we're born again, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, or we tithe, anointed, washed by the blood, the body of Christ. Those are things that people don't normally talk about like outside of church. And when we talk to people Within the church, most of them get it. They understand it. But if we think about it, baptism and communion is sort of the same way. Like someone outside the church who has no church background would want to know why we would get up out of our seats. For one, they'd want to know why we even sit here for an hour and 20 minutes. But why do we get up out of our seats, take a piece of bread that someone else tore, and dip it in the juice and eat it? Or that we grab one of these cups with the styrofoam wafer thing in it and drink eight-year-old juice that's been sitting in there? I don't know. I don't know how old it is. It's probably not eight years. I'm being goofy. But my point is this, is that outside of the church, some of the things that we do seem off. And that's okay. We're called to be set apart. That's what being holy and, and, and being like God will cause. We're set apart. We're called to be different. But yet the, the problem can go deeper is that when we're within the church, that some of us may not understand why we do communion or baptism and truly what it means. There could be a lot of misconceptions about what it means. And so I want to dig into it so much so that we properly understand why we baptize people and why we take communion and how it will very much impact your worship of God through those two things and just every day then. Because it's really, really important. And so we have to see that. And so then the overarching thing that we have to understand so that we can worship God properly through those two things is this. Is that baptism and communion are both pointing us to our union with Christ. So the big idea for the sermon today is this. Our union with Christ is our only true hope. Both of them, they're pointing us to Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, they're pointing us to him. 
Without our union with Christ, we would be a hopeless people. Like we would have no hope. There would be nothing to, to look forward to. Hebrews 6, 19, it tells us this. It's going to be on the screen. We have, this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Sorry, and I, this is, wasn't my notes, and Kelly's trying to help me. It goes on, and it talks about that being Jesus, that he is the high priest. I didn't have my notes. Kelly's trying to help me put it on the board, and on the screen here, and I was reading it from there. I didn't turn. Hebrews 6.19, what it's telling us, that we have this sure and steady hope, this anchor of the soul, that Jesus, this high priest, can then go before us. And here's why. In the Old Testament, what he's getting at is this, is there was the temple, and in the temple, there was a curtain, a super thick, heavy, heavy curtain, only one person could go behind it. it was the high priest. But he had to do all these ceremonial cleanings and cleansings before he could go behind it. Because if he didn't, he went back there, God's striking him dead. Like, God's not playing around. Don't come to me dirty in your sin. You're going to come to me pure and holy. And so they would do all these ceremonial cleanings where they would tie a rope around the dude's waist. Because if he went in there and God struck him dead because he skipped a step, he's going to lay back there and stink. So they want to be able to drag him out, Right? That doesn't need to happen no more. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the veil was completely torn and ripped. But yet Jesus is now that high priest who can go before us. So if I'm trying to walk in to somewhere that I don't belong, but I got someone with me who does belong, I'm like, hey, I'm with him. And then it's cool. Like I can go on in. And that's what happens with Jesus. That union with Christ, when we go to walk before the throne of God, if I didn't have that, that union with Christ... It's not going to go well. I can't be in the presence of God because I'm sinful. But in Christ, I'm covered by his holiness, by his righteousness, what he's done on the cross, what he accomplished by resurrecting. And so that's why we have to see this. We have to understand that our union with Christ is so important. It's, it can get, there's all this theological stuff that we could dig into we don't need to, but we're going to make sure that we leave today with a better understanding for sure. And God wants us to know it. He spoke these things into existence through like the scripture, through men, like we talked about last week, so that we could have a better understanding. This is what it says in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing all this so that we can know these things, that we can truly know it and believe it and it impact us. In relation to that verse, Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this, that believers should especially make yourself acquainted to the Scripture and, and know it because it is God's very words which points us to our union with Christ. Spurgeon is also quoted saying this, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. I'm not a big fan of pushing happiness by no means. Like we should have joy in Christ. Life can be really, really hard and you may not be happy, but you can still have joy in him. But the reality of it is if you have a true joy in Jesus and you're united with him, you're probably not walking around like a jerk all the time. You probably are a happier person. Even during the hardest times, you can still have a joy about you that produces some happiness. So we're not trying to point to that. So Big thing that we have to leave then today was this, is that if Spurgeon's saying this, Scripture's saying it, we have to understand our union with Christ. And so why baptism then? Well, baptism portrays our union with Christ. Acts 2 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. These followers of Jesus, they're just kind of left with like, okay, what do we do now? 
Jesus has ascended, so they've been waiting, and they've, they've been, they appointed someone to replace Judas as one of the 12, and now they're waiting. They're all in one place, and all of a sudden, there's a sound from heaven, and it comes like a mighty rushing wind through the whole room and just wrecks them all because the Holy Spirit just comes upon all, all of them. It says like there's a, like a flaming tongue floating above their head, appeared above them, and, and rested on each of them. The Holy Spirit filled them up, and they couldn't just sit there then. So they go out into the, just into the community, and they start preaching and sharing the gospel. But they're not just talking in their native tongue. They're speaking in other people's native tongues. And people are like, what the heck's going on? That He's not from here. How does he speak like that? He's not Greek. How is he speaking like that? And they think they're drunk. The crowd thinks that these people are drunk. And Peter's like, uh-uh, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts preaching. And he preaches this amazing evangelistic sermon. And, and we, Brianna read some of it where he's telling them, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Like he's calling out their sin. He wants them to know, you crucified this Jesus. So he preaches the sermon. There's so much more in there. I encourage you to go back and, and the, to read the whole thing in chapter 2. But what he preaches, it, it cuts them to the heart. It cuts them deep. Like they're convicted of their sin. They're like, oh, what? Like we're responsible for this? This is us? And yeah, 100%. We are. We're, we're, we're responsible. We're all sinners. And, and, and it's no different for us sitting here today. We're no different than, than those people there. And so then they, they go, what do we do? What are we supposed to do now? And they ask him, brothers, what do we do? And Peter, he's the first one to speak up. I mean, partly because he was the leader and he was the one preaching, but also Peter has a big mouth and he can't shut up. So he's like, I'll tell you what to do. Repent and be baptized. And so they're like, oh, all right. And so they do. Those people, 3,000 of those, is added that day, and they're baptized. I think that gets overlooked all the time. Like We're always like, oh my gosh, 3,000 people got saved. That's amazing. It is amazing. But if you were here on January 1st when we baptized, I think, three or four people over there in the hot tub, that took like 20 minutes. Can you imagine how long it took to baptize 3,000 people? And then just the spectacle of it all. Like That is drawing people in to say, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Why are they baptizing all those people? This is so amazing to me, the attention that it would drew, how it would appoint people to Jesus. But back to it, they, why? Why be baptized? Because they repented. Because they were cut to the heart. They didn't get baptized and then become a Christian. They repented, were saved, and then got baptized. It has to go in that order. And, and a lot of times, that's the, the thing. It's like someone's like, man, I got baptized when I was six, but... You know, I was 18, and I really gave my life to Jesus. Should I get baptized again? Yeah. Yeah, because you, you didn't get baptized. You just got wet when you were six. Like, they didn't count, dude. Like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, th that's just that's not the process. That's not the steps. Repent, then be baptized. So Jesus, or Peter, he lays this out. He lays out the reality of their sin. It's cut them deep, and so they go, and they're like, all right, they're going to get baptized. Now, what I want you to hear, because I'm saying that it's, re it's repent, then be baptized. Baptism does not save you. That's why Peter called them to repent first. And that's the problem is so often in Christian circles, is we, we can get this false idea that baptism will save you. It does not. It is an act 
that is portraying your salvation, your union with Christ. That we're dead in our sins, we die to ourselves, go under the water, come back up, new life, resurrected with Jesus. It's portraying that. It's showing that. It's letting us celebrate that. It is not saving you. We didn't bless that water. We didn't do anything. It's just water. But it's so much more because there's a spiritual aspect that's saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm pointing everyone else and myself back to who I am in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith, which puts us in Christ. Not saved by baptism, by works to put us in Christ. And so I'm going to read three Ephesians 2 with you just so you can see this. I want you to stop as we go and, and, and just hear everywhere it says, you and you're in. You and this, with this, with that. It starts from the very beginning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. They're talking about following Satan. All of us were doing that at one point because we were all dead in our trespasses. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So it gets good. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he, had, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, this is where it gets really good, together with Christ, the union with Christ, right there. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see how many times that Paul, he's writing this? He's like, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. God's going to do this to you in Christ. None of it is by yourself. It can't be. You don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve any of it by myself. In Christ, he's going to show his kindness toward us. But then if we're like, well, man, what does, what does that mean? Because it also said I was dead. You're right. We were all dead in our sins, laying in that filth of our sins, each and every one of us. There's not one of you here that was born a Christian. Doesn't work. Doesn't happen. You, I've had people tell me that. Well, I've always been a Christian. Born into a Christian family. Cool, man. I hope your grandpa was a pastor, your dad was a pastor, your uncle was a pastor. They can all be pastors. But that didn't save you. You ain't riding on anyone's coattails into heaven. You're born dead in your sins. And the problem is that some of us sitting in this room today, watching on Facebook, are still sitting in the filth, dead in our sins. And we don't have to be. You don't change that by getting baptized. You change that by confessing him as Lord. Because if you could do that, if you could say, man, I'm baptized, so now I'm a Christian, Ephesians 2, 9 would not be true because it says that you're saved by grace through faith, which is not of your own doing, but a gift of God. You're not saved by works so that no one may boast. It's not a result of works. So if you're like, I got saved, or if I got, I'm a Christian because I got baptized, and then what you're doing is you're, you're boasting in yourself. I did this. I took this action. That made me a Christian. No. 
The Bible's very clear that it cannot and will not save you. So I mentioned earlier about the attention that 3,000 people getting baptized would draw. It's this, but it's so much greater than that because it's putting Jesus on display. When we got to baptize a month ago, there were people here because some of you all invited them to come and to see you or your kids get baptized. They haven't been in church here before. Maybe they'll never come again. I don't know. Hopefully they do. But maybe it was the first time they heard the gospel. This is not just an act to portray what our union with Christ, but it's to also attract others to him. That's why it's so important that we see it as an act of worship that matters. It can lead others to Christ. And so when Paul, I mean, when Peter is calling these people to do this, it's so important that we don't just overlook it. They, they were obedient. They did it. It doesn't say there that they considered it, because he tells them, be baptized. Verse 41, so those who received his words, his word, were baptized. They didn't, they didn't wait around. They didn't decide if they were uncomfortable getting in front of people. They just did it. Their obedience, because there was a change of heart. And so then what? What did they do next? Well, they had communion. Communion then reminds us of our union with Christ. Baptism portrays our union with Christ. Communion then reminds us of our union with Christ. In the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three of the four gospel parts of the, you know, the, the four books. Of, yeah, let me start over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're three of the four gospels. They portray the whole life of Jesus from birth to death. John does not write about the Last Supper, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they do. And they all tell a very, very similar story about how Jesus gave thanks for the food. He took the, the bread and he blessed it. He blessed the cup of wine. And then giving them to his disciples, he broke the, the bread saying, this is my body, take and eat. This is the cup, the blood of the new covenant, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Like he instituted this. He tells them, do this in remembrance of me. And so the church has done that ever since. And we see that in the very, very beginning of the church here. So those folks are baptized. You already had about 500 believers or so before them. So now you're sitting around 3,500, give or take. And this is what they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Those things. What have we preached on the past four weeks? Last week, I preached on preaching. So that's the apostles' teaching. We preached on prayers. It's right there in that text. We preached on worship, the fellowship, being together to sing. And now the breaking of bread. In this instance right here, the breaking of bread they're referring to is taking communion. That was the natural thing that they did. They took communion to remind themselves of the death of Christ. He had to die. He had to. Like it says it back in, earlier in chapter 2, that it was in verse uh, 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was God's definite plan. It was his foreknowledge. He knew Jesus was going to die because it was the only way to pay the price for our sins. There had to be a payment for it. There could never just be sin that's not taken care of. And so Jesus is like, I'll take care of it for them. I'll pay the price. And so by us then gathering together as a family of God, we get to then do this in remembrance of him as he's called us to do because it reminds us of our union with him. We're connected to him 
by his death, also by his resurrection, but by his death. If he didn't die, we couldn't be. So this can be done weekly. It could be done less frequent if you wanted to. I mean, I know of churches that do it once a quarter, there's churches that do it once a month. It, it doesn't matter per se how often you do it. I, I love that we take it each and every week. A couple of weeks ago when we were able to go back to like people getting up and moving and, and dipping the bread and the juice and then you know going back to the seats and I like the flow. I love like things running smooth so like it's all nice. You leave your seat that way and go, it's great. It's just so awesome. Like it's just <laughs> smooth, well oiled machine. It's awesome. But like it blessed me so much to see these people upcoming and taking communion. I know Corey and Jeff felt the same way. It was just it was just a cool thing. And we still have the the cups. We still have the cups. Like, it, it, they're there. So, like, if you're like, man, I'm not comfortable yet. That's cool. Like, we still want you to come and take communion because we see the importance of it. I shared in the first service, like, this is in my notes. I just, I take communion so serious that about, I don't know, eight years ago or so, when we were still, maybe longer, we were still living in Benton, Illinois. I was a youth pastor there. And every Easter, we'd have just a huge crowd because everyone would come back. Like, that's where their mom and dad went to church. That's where their grandparents went to church. So, Easter would be... We'd go from like 500 to like 1,000, and we're like, we can't fit all these people. Let's do Easter, I think it was at the park or like the theater thing in, in town. I don't remember exactly where we did it now, but we were going to do communion on Easter. And so I remember they, they ordered like four different kinds of these. Like So there's different ones that are for sale. And they were in the office, like sampling them, trying to see which ones were the best. And they're like, here, try these and tell us which one's the best, David. And I'm like, no, I ain't playing like that. I don't do that. I'm like, what? I'm like, y'all think I'm weird, but I'm not doing that. Like, communion to me is so serious. It's like, I don't really care what it tastes like at the end of the day. Buy what you want. I'll take communion. I'm just not playing around in the office telling you which wafer I think tastes better and which juice that's been sitting in that cup for who knows how long tastes better. I'm not, I'm not doing that. They're like, you're crazy. I'm like, whatever. I don't care. I'll pick. You guys vote and pick. I just, this though it is not, I don't believe it to be the actual body and blood of Christ. Like, I didn't bless any of this. Um, our hospitality team tore the bread, poured some juice out of some Welch's, or we probably bought the, you know, knockoff kind grape juice, and they just poured it in there. Like, I didn't go back there. I didn't bless anything. I can't bless it and make it become Jesus's physical body and blood. Like, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, like, going on, like, in just the seriousness of communion, and because it, it's pointing us back to his, to our union with him, we, I was here, I don't know, three or four weeks ago with my boys and then some of their teammates from their middle school basketball team. We, we moved out like 50 or so chairs out into a shed out there. And I was like, perfect, I got y'all and you need a ride home. I'm going to have you come help me move chairs. So I don't want to carry all those chairs by myself. And so we're in here and one of them grabbed one of these and they're like, Coach Dave, can I, can I eat the Lord's body? I was like, no, you're not eating the Lord's body. Stop. I go, I, take a, I, go, I'm, I don't take a lot serious, but that one I do. And, and he's like, why, why can't I? I go, because you're not a Christian. You're not, you're not taking that. And he goes, well, how do you know I'm not a Christian? I go, are you? No. I'm like, well, then you're not taking it. Like, you ain't supposed to. It ain't for you. And he goes, well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? And I'm like, jackpot. Sweet. <laughs> I was like, I will tell you. Do you want to know? He's like, yeah, I want to know. I was like, this is the whole reason I've been coaching this whole time. Like, I love being there helping kids and all, but if I can share the gospel with somebody, then that is the whole purpose, right? We're living on mission, missionally strategic. And so I got to share the gospel with him, which is really cool. Um, he didn't, like, 
say anything, respond, but seeds planted, we'll see where it goes. My whole point of it is, is like, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. He didn't say to take it flippantly. He didn't say just to do whatever we want with it. Like, I don't think that it is something that we should just blow by. And so as we do it weekly, which I think is a great, great rhythm, we can't allow it then to become just routine and meaningless. And it's easy to do that. We say, hey, guys, stand. We're going to take communion. We'll read from 1 Corinthians 11, and then you, you know, whatever. You take it or, you know, for the past few years, just open this up, and, and that's it. Like, it could just become a very thing that we just, eh. But here's the deal. It's a mental action that's happening to take communion. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So there's this mental action of remembering, that literally remember, what did he do? Well, he died in my place. So there's a response that we're to have. We're to be remembering the real physical death of Jesus, that he died in our place, that he was lashed, that he was smacked, that he was spit on, that he was cursed, that they pierced his side, they nailed his hands to a cross. Like, guess what? You deserved all that. I deserved all that and so much more. And we need to be able to sit in the weight of our sins sometimes. If you're in a missional community, you, you sat in your, your sin, the weight of your sin a little bit this past week. We talked about that. We talked about how we come, sometimes try to minimize our sin, shrink it down so we don't have to look at it, and we try to make excuses. Well, I'm, I'm a really, really good dad and a husband, but I'm a jerk to everybody else. Well, that's not that big of a deal because I'm really good at home. No, my sin's still my sin. And so it's okay as we take communion to sit in the weight of our sin sometimes and just remember our own sinfulness that caused him to go to the cross. It was us. It was our fault, our sin. It's all on us. And so remembering that is not easy, but I think it's to be very necessary. It helps us to know and to celebrate that union with him all the more. And that's why they did it. They did it regularly. And here in Acts 2, that's what the church did. So there's yet, there's a physical reminder, but 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, it points us to a spiritual reminder. I talked about that I didn't bless this stuff. So I didn't like do anything. No one else did. And I know there, you know, there's people out there who believe wholeheartedly there's, that this could be the physical body and blood of Jesus. There, that's not in scripture. You cannot find that in this Bible. I promise you. You can scour every page. You can try to argue it all you want. It's not in there. And so it's important that we understand that as we take communion and as we celebrate it because we don't want to believe the wrong things. But there is a very spiritual realization of what's taking place here. Jesus obtained for us access to eternity, access to the Father that we could not have had without him. And so there is a very spiritual thing that through this act of him showing us grace, then we're able to, to do this. They're not just empty symbols. They mean something. They matter deeply. And so for us to be like, oh, it's just some bread and juice or wine or whatever, it's not. He, it's, whether it's prepackaged stuff or, or bread and juice, it is symbolizing his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled, that does cleanse us of our sins. Like there had to be the shedding of blood, for there to be forgiveness of sins. That is biblical. It's all through the Bible. But yet it's just a means of grace to show us his saving power in us, in our lives. And so I want us to know that. I want us to remember it. Any means of grace that we're given are to remind us of his work. But this one, he says, to do in remembrance of him. And that's why we do it weekly. 
We do it weekly so we can all sit in that and understand how important it is. And just like baptism, baptism doesn't save you, communion doesn't either. It doesn't save you. You could never take communion. The, the thief on the cross never took communion. He just died on the cross, and he was with Jesus in eternity. He didn't take communion down and get, get some bread. He didn't get some juice. Like, he died. And so you don't have to take communion. And I want to also say you don't have to be a member here to take communion. You can be a regular attender. You don't have to have been baptized to take communion. I think that you should get baptized, but you don't have to have been baptized. All that you have to do is you need to be a Christian. If you're here in this room right now and you're not a Christian, you know, you've never put your faith in Jesus, and not to be rude, but this is not for you. It's not. And I would recommend not taking it, and I'll get to that in a bit. Why? And if you are a Christian, then you should most definitely take it, but yet follow the biblical commands that God's put forth of how you should examine yourself and repent of sin, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But you can see here in the scripture, like the steps that Jesus has put forth, they did. They shared the gospel. People got baptized. They took communion. We want to remember and to portray and to sit in our union with Christ because without it, we have nothing. So now what? How do we respond? Well, first and foremost is if you're here and you're not a Christian, put your faith in Jesus. I did not, by any means, want to say to anyone with, a, with a, like a, any ill intent that you're dead in your sins and laying in the filth of it. But I meant it. I don't say that to try to tick anyone off. I don't say that so people on Facebook can get riled up. I say it because I believe it wholeheartedly, and the idea of someone dying and going to hell wrecks me. I feel that is the sole reason why God called me into the ministry. I cannot stand the idea of people in our community, people across the world, not getting to hear the gospel, not being able to respond to it, or rejecting it. Like they think the hell would just be whatever, but it won't. Like all the wrath of God is going to be poured out. And so if you're here today and, you, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, there's nothing more important than you can do than to do that in this moment. You don't need me. You don't need anyone else. You just pray to him and say, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I want to have union with Christ because I don't have that right now. And because of that, I'm not able to come before you as a son or daughter, but I'm sitting there as a child of wrath. And you're going you're gonna to smoke me one day, and I don't want that. I want to be with you for eternity. Now, if you are a Christian in this room, or you do pray and ask God to save you in the next few moments, the next step of how you can respond is this. If you've not been baptized post-becoming a Christian, I want to invite you to get baptized on February 26th. So next time we're going to baptize. I, I, we didn't even have that scheduled, and I told Jeff as we did worship planning this week, I want to have something to point people to. If you've never been baptized post-belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, then you need to respond. Go on the Church Center app and RSVP for it. I don't know if it's up or not, but it will be sometime this week. So that's the two main things. Next, I'm going to ask you guys to stand for this part because we're going to take communion. If you're a believer and you've made communion just to be something that it's not, you've reduced it, that or baptism, to less than it is, then I would call you to repent. Just pray to God. You don't need me. Again, you don't need me. Just pray to God. Say, God, I've really just taken this as just something that we do, just routine, just whatever, and I shouldn't have done that. Like, I need to understand who you are in my, in my union with you, and I, I'm sorry. 
And then we're going to take communion together if you're a Christian. And so I'm going to pray over us. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. We read from it every week. But I'm going to go a little bit further in it. And I'm going to just want to point something out to you. Let me pray for us first. God, you are good. Your scripture tells us that. That while we were sinners, while we were dead in our sins, while we are the reason, Jesus, that you had to go to the cross, even though it was a predestined, foreknown thing, God, that you set in motion, God, it's because of our sin that you had to do such a thing. And so, Lord, thank you for saving us, that you are that loving, you are that graceful, gracious, God, that you would do that for us. So God, I pray that today as we're here gathered together, Lord, that we do celebrate our union with you, Jesus, through taking communion, that we do with a clear and clear conscience, a clean heart, Lord, as we come before you with the right posture. God, I pray that there's people here that don't know you, those watching on Facebook, YouTube, Lord, that God, you, you save them, that you change their hearts of stone to a heart of flesh. God, I beg of you, I beg of you that you will crush them under the weight of their sin and they will just fall at your feet. So God, I just I pray that you work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is what Paul writes. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as often, we get to do this. We get to do this. But listen to these next words. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. It's a big deal. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Take a minute. Do this in the right spot, says examine yourself. Then, then come and celebrate our union with Christ because of his death. Let's respond.